Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, sometimes a text like today's leads me into temptation. I have a hard time understanding why God, the life of the church, evangelism, mission, the whole bit, seemed to operate so much more robustly and effectively in the early church than they do now. Today's typical. The healing of the lame man gets me thinking a little bit about the hidden ways of God. Because you see, the miracle is obviously at the heart of Peter's evangelistic success and the growth of the church. The trouble is, the story also reinforces what seems true to everybody. That is, seeing is believing. Or as my wife says, I'll believe it when I see it. Peter healed this lifelong cripple, and all the people who were going to the temple that day saw it. Everyone was amazed, and they looked directly to Peter, who in this very powerful sermon connected the healing to Jesus. The result? Many were added to the church. And this is not the only time in Acts that a miracle was a crucial part, a key to the church's outreach. Miracles gave credence to Peter's preaching about Jesus. Peter preached the gospel after his audience had seen the miracle, and clearly it was a powerful combination. Now, you probably already know where I'm going with this. (laughs) We don't have the combination today. We don't have the seeing part. As a real estate agent once told Diane and me, your house isn't selling because it lacks sizzle. We have preaching, we have proclamation, but not the curbside appeal that Peter had. Here at the seminary, we teach you how to preach. Of course, we encourage the use of visual aids, but those visual aids are pretty pedestrian when compared with Peter's. And you all know that if you want to plant a church or if you want to reach out to the unchurched, you all know how much time and effort and prayer it takes. There are no miracles to grease the skids. But these stories of Peter in the early church suggest that the motto, seeing is believing, is a solid formula for missionary success. The mission of the church, and certainly a pastor's personal ministry, would flourish if we could show people that what we say about Jesus is true. If people could see, then they would believe. It's kind of frustrating that visible miracles are gone from our repertoire of pastoral acts. It would be a great thing to go into the hospital, pray with some guy, and then heal him. The heck with Obamacare. (laughs) But we can't. Nowadays, the ministry of the Word has lost its luster. So here's my question. Why, when our world counts seeing as persuasive evidence necessary for believing, Why does God put us in the position of trying to get people to believe in Jesus without seeing anything? My temptation, the devil, in my question is doubt. Doubt God. 
doubt God's ways, and instead trust more and more on our own visible efforts and rational, logical, human, sight-oriented methods for building the church. The temptation is to make all of those the key, the center. But what if our common assumption about the relationship between seeing and believing is dead wrong? What if the two are not connected like we think? In fact, you already know that Jesus pulls the two apart. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Belief, independent of sight, faith without seeing, Well, we walk by faith, not by sight, Paul writes. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, says the author of Hebrews. For these apostles, seeing had nothing to do with believing. Even the religious leaders in today's text saw with their own eyes that the lame man had been healed. They could not deny it, and yet... They did not come to believe in Jesus. The link between seeing and believing grows weak. Seeing but no believing? Believing without seeing? Well, for us, that's kind of a relief. And again, maybe not. The bite comes in a word such as Acts 13, where Luke says, Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. That last line is a stinger because it suggests that God is the one who chooses who gets faith. We don't. And God chooses how he works and how he comes to benighted sinners. We don't. And you know what? He has determined that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so in our text and throughout Acts, the disciples preached Jesus, crucified by us but raised by the Father. They preached salvation in him alone. They brought Jesus to people's ears and the Holy Spirit worked faith in people's hearts. They heard and believed. That's what the text says. St. Paul reminds us here at the seminary, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And so we send preachers, hopefully humble, faithful preachers of the word of God that works faith in people's hearts. The Lord has this gracious, glorious word for you. He says, the Jesus that your sins crucified, God has raised up. And then he adds, this Christ was crucified for our offenses, but raised again for our justification. He says, you are all sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with Abraham when he said, in your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. All nations, that's you. And so in the name of Jesus, I come to you today, bringing you the news of your forgiveness. That's God's 
blessing to you. That's what he had in mind for all of you from the very beginning. Jesus crucified and risen for you. Jesus, God's word to you that frees you from all sin, from all condemnation. One more thing, and it's kind of a surprise. As God's people, our motto is not seeing is believing, but actually it's quite the opposite. Believing is seeing. And for us, the seeing points in two directions. First, we see with the eyes of faith. After the resurrection, when Christ opened the minds of the disciples, they saw the scriptures as they never had before. They saw Jesus where they didn't before. And so do we. Throughout our lives, we see God's gracious hand upon us. We see his work in baptism and Holy Communion, for example. And in the midst of despair, we see Jesus, the joy of our salvation. And in the midst of foolishness, we see Christ, the wisdom of God. And even in the midst of death, we see Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And second, we know that ultimately the eyes of faith will give way to actual sight. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. The resurrected Jesus will come again at the restoration of all things, and we will see him with our own eyes. <laughs> Believing is seeing. In the meantime, I leave you with a challenge. My favorite author says it well. What you believe is what you see, is what you know, is what you do, is what you are. In other words, what we believe, or as we believe, is how we act. And as we believe, so we are. Remember how the early church lived what they believed. Think upon the implications for the lives of us who confess that Jesus is our resurrected Lord and Savior too. Amen. Now may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which passes all our understanding, keep your hearts and minds together in Christ Jesus. Amen.